It's Sunday, March 7th, and we want to welcome you to the Winkler Berktoller Mennonite Church service. The days are getting longer and, the, and warmer, and we are excited that you have come to join us for a time of worship and praise unto the Lord together. This morning, we want to so focus on using our gifts and talents for the kingdom of God, found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 3 through 13. So we welcome you to this special time where we will worship the Lord together. I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear these burdens alone. In my distress, he kindly will help. morning. Welcome to this morning's Winkler Birchtoller Mennonite Church worship service. During the season of Lent, it is good to have the assembling of the saints to fellowship and worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. A warm welcome to all guests that have joined us. We hope that you will all experience God's presence and blessing as we receive his word, sing his praises, and give him the glory due to his holy name. 
For an opening scripture passage, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 to 21. And it reads as follows. Therefore, from now on we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Then we turn to Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6, where Paul instructs us, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. God has given us a terrific life's manual in the Bible. Now it's up to us to anchor ourselves to the instructions. I read a quote by Warren Worsby, formerly of Back to the Bible, and I'll leave it with you, and it reads as follows, The Child of God. When the child of God looks into the Word of God and sees the Son of God, he is changed by the Spirit of God into the image of God for the glory of God. Let's take our uh, bulletins and look at the announcements. Take note of all this week's activities at uh, Winker Berchtaler. They're out there uh, for you to read. Under Church Family Praises and Concerns, Church Prayer and Praise, Tina Hildebrandt is in Swan Lake Hospital awaiting placement in Salem. Continue to pray for strength for her legs as she begins to walk again. Jake Fair has moved to Salem home. Please pray for Jake and his family as they make this transition. Under mission praise and prayer, pray for the Boundary Trails paramedics and ambulance drivers. Pray for our missionaries, Don and Sharep. And there is an expression of sympathy. Abe Giesbrecht passed away Saturday, February 27th. A private graveside service was held. He was a brother to Mary Epp and Linda and Jake Clausen and Gerhard and Anna Friesen, who are also part of the Giesbrecht family. Uh, and uh, here's a special note on uh, worship services. Please uh, listen carefully and, and read uh, during the week. Beginning next Sunday, March 14th, we will have only one service at 9.15 a.m., only registered attendants and scheduled participants will be allowed in the building due to the 100-person limit. We will continue to record our worship services on Thursday evenings for broadcasting. Since Bathway Community Church will have a service at 11 a.m., we may, we may need some help with sanitizing after our service. For Sunday, March 14th, if you are registered for the 9.15 a.m. service, you do not need to register again. If you are registered for the 9.15 a.m. service and will not attend on a given Sunday, 
Please inform the church office by phone or email. At 11 a.m., worship service attenders, please let the office know whether you are willing to attend the 9.15 a.m. service. Worship service participants are automatically registered. So please take note of that for uh, the upcoming services. Then uh, printed copies of the 2020 annual report books are available on the table in the foyer. Take note of that. And uh, in membership meeting, in anticipation of more restrictions being lifted, we are tentatively planning our membership meeting for March 19, 2021. Nominations for committees will also be accepted at our membership meeting. However, before you nominate a person at the meeting, please check with the person you are nominating whether he or she is okay with it. Let's uh, bow for prayer. Lord, we come before your throne of grace with thanksgiving and praise. We ponder and marvel who you really are, your attributes, King of kings, Lord of lords, the great I am, all-wise, all-knowing, ever-present, holy, almighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Creator, Sustainer, Comforter, Intercessor, Perfect and Unchanging, Faithful, Gracious, Merciful, Just, Sovereign, Loving, Triune God, Infinite, from Everlasting to Everlasting. And these are but a few of your attributes. Lord, we thank you for who you are and that you care for us. We love you. Make us mindful of the sin debt you bore on the cross of Calvary for each one of us as we reflect on the Easter season. Lord, we pray for lost souls. We pray the blood of Jesus Christ on their spiritual condition. Lift them out of their bondage to sin. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would touch them and draw them into a relationship with you and that Christians would mysteriously surround these people and envelop them with your love. Lord, we pray for Donna Sharep and all our missionaries. Give them boldness and courage and perseverance to minister to the unbelieving. We pray for revival in the regions and territories in which you have placed these missionaries. Place a hedge of protection on on them and their families. We pray for those who have experienced the loss of loved ones in their families. Be the God of comfort, peace, and compassion to the Giesbrecht family and minister to these grieving families and guide them through the mourning process. Lord, you know the need of each one who needs your healing hand to touch them and restore them to their health. We pray that you would be that provider and that, and that provision. We thank you for all those that have already experienced healing. We pray for strength for Tina Hilderbrand that she might walk again and that she would find placement in Salem home. We pray that you would undertake for Jake Fair and his family as he transitions to a new home in Salem. Lord, we pray for the paramedics and ambulance drivers at Boundary Trails as they encounter serious and stressful situations, many having life and death consequences. Lord, we pray for the families within our church and community who feel isolated or lonely or experience uncertainty about their well-being or employment. Meet them in their place of anxiety and need and overwhelm them with your peace and grace and mercy. Lord, we thank you for the gifts and ties that continue to flow from your hand. 
multiply them, and may they continue to serve you through the various functions, activities, and ministries of this church body and the greater Christian community. We give you the honor and the glory. Lord, we thank you for each participant in this morning's worship service and thank you for the gifts they bring to this service. We pray a blessing on Pastor Dean as he expounds your truth out of Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Minister to each one who is listening that we may be trained and equipped for service in building your kingdom. For we ask all these things in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Sing to the Lord with all of your heart. Sing of the glory that's due to his name. Sing to the Lord with all of your soul. Join all of heaven and earth to proclaim. You are the Lord, the Savior of all. God of creation, we praise you. We sing the songs that awaken the dawn. God of creation, we Jesus' blood and righteousness 
nor trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love, through the storm, He is Lord. I possess 
today. I hope you guys are too. I hope you had a good week. And I was wondering how your memorizing went. Did you memorize anything? I have to tell you, I didn't. I'm a little bit embarrassed to even say that because it was my idea. But I will get on that and I will work on that this week. Um, But it is important to know God's word. As we've listened to our story, we've been reminded about how important it is to know what God has to say in his word and how it can shape our lives and help us make decisions to know how to handle things and it can encourage us. And our missionaries, they needed some good encouragement, didn't they? Do you remember how um, the missionaries, Tim and Bunny, were first um, taken hostage and then how 
Paul and Steve flew in the airplane and they came in and then they were taken hostage as well. And Steve stayed with Tim and Bunny in the jungle as hostages. And then Paul took off in the airplane with the other men, with the gorillas, and he was being held hostage somewhere else. And do you remember how it was God's word that was encouraging them during this really tough time? They didn't know if they were going to live, if they were going to ever see their families again. And do you remember the things that they were encouraged by? They're encouraged about the stories of the Old Testament, about how God saved his people and how he fought for them and how God took care of them. Uh, they remembered the verse in Hebrews where it talks about how Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when we think about um, what God's done in the past, we can be encouraged of what he's going to do right now. Uh, there is another verse from Isaiah uh, 26 where it says, You, Lord, give true peace. You give peace to those who depend on you. You give peace to those who trust you. It was Steve who had remembered that verse. And uh, they needed that peace, didn't they? They wanted to trust God and have peace that he was working everything out. Because that was another verse that they talked about, wasn't it, in Romans 8, about how God is in everything. He's working all situations out. And it's not, um, nothing's out of his control. And he doesn't always work them out the way that we think he should work things out. But he is always working in all our situations and he's bringing all things to his glory. And that's something that can encourage us um, with no matter what's going on in our lives as well. So I think we should find out what happened next, don't you? Do you remember where we were? Well, there's Paul being encouraged by the Bible. And this is the picture where we left off, where he had um, been trusting that God was going to wake him up. And when it was the right time to leave, when the gorillas would be sleeping and uh, God did, he woke him up. He didn't know what time it was, but he started walking out of his um, little tent, his little home, and he stood on a branch and it went crack really loud. Do you think it woke anyone up? Well, let's find out. The branch cracked loudly under Paul's foot. He froze. But everything was quiet. Paul breathed, oh, thank you, Lord. And he went on. Soon he was on the trail to the airplane. The woods and the trail were wet with rain. Oh, thank you, Lord. The leaves make much less noise this way, he said inwardly. Paul's thank yous and steps both came faster and faster as he headed toward the plane. But the night was pitch black. He lost the trail and got tangled up in thick vines and bushes. Paul groped his way back to the trail and stooped over so he could feel the path with his hands as he moved forward. Finally, Paul got to the spot where he thought the plane would be, but there was no plane. In the blackness of the night, he thought he saw a house. Paul felt so confused. He didn't remember a house there. Had he taken a wrong trail somehow? He crept up to the house and put his hand out to feel it. It was the airplane. It was covered with black plastic logs and palm trees. Oh no, thought Paul. Now I have to get rid of all this stuff before I can even turn the plane around. And what an enormous job. And at any time, the gorillas might discover he was missing. Well, he would just have to keep trusting God to keep them asleep or blind and deaf until he was gone. Paul shoveled off wet palms and logs and tore off the plastic. Then he wiped the whole airplane off with its outstretched arms and prayed for strength to move the plane. 
He tugged the plane back and forth. Oops, ouch. He slipped and hurt his back. Paul took off his shoes so he could get a better grip with his toes. With his shoes in his hands, he suddenly remembered the key was in the shoe lining. Oh, man, I don't want to lose that, Paul gasped. Paul stuck the key deep into his pockets and kept on working. He tugged and pulled and tugged and pulled. Once the airplane was really stuck, feeling his way along the plane, he found that the tailwheel was up against a stump. Paul prayed for strength to lift the tail of the plane up over the stump. Finally, the airplane was turned around and headed the right way. Now he had to make sure the runway was clear. Still barefoot, Paul felt his way to the runway. He found one 55-gallon barrel at the runway entrance, which he moved to the side. When Paul got back to the plane, he was all worn out. He climbed in, put his seatbelt on, and turned to pull, pull the door shut. Suddenly, he heard three heavy footsteps. Crunch, crunch, crunch. They were a man's footsteps coming from the head of the path. They're here, he thought. What do, what do I do? But no one shone a light. The last footstep stopped a meter or so away. Ever since Paul had left his bed that night, he had sensed God with him every second. God had helped him through so much. It was not the time to turn back now. Nope. Quickly, he shut and locked the door and started the motor. The noisy old engine cranked up right away. Since this was a jungle plane, Paul had never flown it at night. And now he found that the landing lights didn't work, only the little taxi light, which didn't help much. Besides that, the, that, the windows were all steamed up. Paul grabbed the towel, wiped the windows quickly, then taxied forward. The wiping didn't do much. Outside, a heavy fog covered everything. At the runway, Paul couldn't see a thing in the fog. Why, Lord, you've brought me this far, and now I can't see to take off. But God seemed to say, go. Paul held the door open with a shoulder to see better, poured on the power, hung out the door until he was up in the air, and then closed the door. He went up 30 meters, 60 meters, 100 meters. Ah, he was above the trees. Paul's heart swelled with one deep, long, thank you, Lord. There was still one problem. What if the gorillas tried to shoot him down? Then Paul understood why the fog was there. The gorillas couldn't see him. Now Paul thanked God for the fog. As the plane climbed over a thousand meters, Paul checked for the first time to see what time it was. The clock on the panel said 1.58 a.m. Oh no, that meant he needed to land by 3.20 in the morning. It would still be totally dark. Set this bird down while it's still dark? It seemed impossible. But God hadn't just, but hadn't God just helped him to do the impossible? You got me up here safely, Paul prayed. I believe you can get me back on the ground safely, too. At about 3,000 meters, Paul broke out of the clouds into a clear night. Wow, the stars were brilliant, and as far in every direction as he could see, and a sil sliver of the moon shone brightly. Paul exclaimed, Lord, how awesome you are, how magnificent your power up there in the heavens, Paul praised and praised God. There just wasn't enough words to pour out his thanksgiving to him. As Paul flew through the night, he thanked God for each little detail of his escape. Paul was so glad that he had gotten away from the gorillas, but now he had another reason for wanting to get back to the mission headquarters. He knew things that nobody else knew about the group that was holding Tim, Bunny, and Steve captive. What he knew might be used to help, um, help free them. 
Now Paul needed to land the plane um, before it ran out of fuel. He descended to 700 meters. He could smell burned grassland. That was a good sign. There should be flat land nearby. Soon, Paul's little taxi light spotted the ground. He saw brush, high clumps of termite nests, and mounds of anthills. Not good for landing, and he could only see right where the taxi light shone. Suddenly, there were trees right in front of him. Paul jerked back on the oak, and the plane lifted over the trees. The plane was very light since it had almost no fuel, so it responded to his touch easily. Coming down again, Paul looked uh, for a place to land. More trees, whoop, up and over again. Paul could hardly believe how calm he felt. He flew over a fourth clump of trees. The light shone on a fence now. Pasture, thought Paul, and he set the plane down, applying the brakes as hard as he could. Quickly, the plane came to a stop, and he turned off the motor. Thank you, Lord. Paul didn't know where he was, but he was safe on the ground, far away from the gorillas. It was still pitch black. In the darkness, Paul felt all around the outside of the plane. He could not even feel one little scratch. Again, he could only say, thank you, Lord. The clock on the instrument panel said 3.23 a.m. When it became light, Paul would need to figure out where he was, but for now, there was nothing he could do but wait. He tried to sleep, but was too excited. He ended up using the hours of darkness to pray, especially for Tim, Bunny, and Steve. As soon as it was light, Paul climbed out of the plane. He saw what a real miracle his landing had been. On the other side of the fence, there were about 250 cows. He gasped, Lord, you knew I couldn't have landed over there. He walked to the opposite side of the plane and saw another fence, and beyond that fence was a stream, trees, and anthills. He could not have landed there either. Behind him was that last clump of trees he had flown over, and in front of it was a swamp with palm trees. Talk about landing in just the right spot. That's God, he whispered. Paul saw a man on a horseback riding in his direction. Paul went out to meet him, and the man was able to tell him the name and location of the closest town. He even invited Paul to breakfast at his ranch, but Paul was eager to call on the radio. He got his call through to the mission headquarters around 6.30 that morning, and soon there was help on the way. If Paul could have just seen what was on the other end, um, what that, if Paul could have just seen what went on at the other end that morning, 20 people crowded around the radio, all trying to hear Paul's voice. Someone sent word quickly to Paul's wife, Pat, who came running from her house in bare feet. Paul, Pat, Paul's wife, had been amazed that during the time Paul was kept a captive, she didn't feel very upset. But then she had heard from one person after another about how many people were praying both day and night. One older missionary lady known as Grandma Polson had spent long hours praying into the night. She had told Pat that God would bring Paul back soon and that he would tell them his own stories with tears in his eyes. Now Pat ran across the airstrip and football field faster than she had run in years to get to the radio. Afterwards, she walked home with Grandma Polson. Oh, Pat, Grandma said, in the night, God seemed to stop me from praying for all four of those who had been kidnapped and had me pray very hard for Paul. I seemed to see him trying to escape as though he were swimming. Pat, dear, I wasn't dreaming. I was just sitting up in my bed praying, and God seemed to show me that Paul really needed my help in prayer. So I prayed on until God gave me peace. Later that morning, when the sound of the plane filled the air, all the people at the mission headquarters, even the children, ran out to meet Paul. Paul's eyes were so misted with tears of joy that he could hardly see the land and park the plane. That afternoon, everyone met in the schoolhouse to hear Paul tell his story. 
He showed how he cleared off the wings of the plane, his eyes closed as if though blind in the dark, his arms making the motions of a breaststroke to show how he'd cleared the stuff away. Pat remembered what Grandma Polson had seen when she was praying in the night. He was escaping as though swimming. She got up and went around and hugged Grandma Polson. Oh, Grandma, Pat whispered, I do believe God let you in on what was happening as you prayed. Isn't that incredible? His story of escape and how God was with him that whole time and step by step helped him to make the right decisions and made him uh, land. And isn't it neat how Pat, his wife, had peace through this experience because people were praying for her? And that's my challenge this week. There's still one uh, part of the story left to find out what happened to the other missionaries. Um, But this week, uh, while we wait for that last part, I was um, thinking that maybe we could uh, work really hard at praying for people. There's so many people in our lives that we could pray for, people that we know, people that are um, maybe experiencing some really hard things or need to be encouraged and uh, reminded of who God is. But not only people we know, there are people that are experiencing really hard things that we don't know. People in our community, but people around the world, people who are even kidnapped right now um, because they know Jesus. And um, we could be praying for those. You can talk to your mom and dad. There's ways that we can research on the internet to find out who uh, these people are. There are people being persecuted for knowing Jesus and loving him. There's people, um, missionaries, that are being held hostage right now and their families and them could really use our prayers so that's my encouragement this week i hope you have a good week and i look forward to finishing the story next week the scripture reading is from matthew chapter 25 we'll be reading verses 14 through 30 it's the parable of the talents jesus is describing what it's going to be like during the end times again it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents? See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The one with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with the two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, 
so that when I returned, I would receive it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I was in the bookstore the other day browsing through some titles when all of a sudden I ran across a book that said, Here am I, Lord, send someone else. And I began to chuckle to myself because this was a phrase Moses used trying to get out of the mission that God was calling him to. I thought it was humorous because sometimes this has been true of me and other people I know. It seems that we like the idea of God calling us to do something. But when it comes to going, we would rather have God send someone else. These these uh, There are four prophets in the Old Testament that I would like to highlight this morning. And the first, of course, is Moses, the one that we have talked about. One day he was um, tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, when the Lord called him from the burning bush that was not consumed by fire. And Moses replied, here am I. Then God began telling Moses that he was sending him to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to tell him to let his people go. Well, we know the rest of the story quite well. Five times Moses tried to make excuses and pleaded with God not to send them. And each each time God answered the objections until the anger of the Lord burned against him. Moses did go, and what a glorious journey it was for him. It may have not been easy, but God was, was using him and God was with him every step of the way. Now we come to the second person that heard the call of God, and that was Samuel. The boy Samuel was ministering before the Lord under Eli. And at night, as Samuel was sleeping, Samuel heard God call his name. Samuel, Samuel. And the first three times that Samuel listened to the voice, he ran to Eli and said, Here am I, you called Now Eli understood that it was the voice of God. So Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And sure enough, the Lord came and stood calling as he did the other time. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. And Samuel followed the Lord immediately when God called him. And what a glorious journey it was for him as well. Samuel became known as one of the greatest prophets, but also as one of the most outstanding judges of Israel. He saw God work in mighty ways, and he gave leadership and anointed Saul and David as king. Now, the third person um, that God called, uh, the, sec- uh, the third person that God called was Jonah. Jonah, in chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, some son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against this, because of its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. 
Jonah wanted nothing to do with the mission that God was calling him for. So he fled on ship and God sent a whale his way in order to swallow him. And Jonah had a change of heart in the belly of the whale and he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord had the whale come and vomited him up onto dry ground. And he went and preached repentance. And guess what? The whole city repented. repented. Jonah was upset because the people of Nineveh were the enemies of God. And they treated the Israelites horribly. Jonah said then, he knew that God was going to do this. He knew that God was going to be gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And Jonah didn't want that to happen. Jonah was a reluctant prophet, but God used him to serve the city of a, to save a city of 120,000 people because the city repented. Now the fourth and the last person I want to highlight who God called was Isaiah. Isaiah was in the throne room of God and he overheard God speaking. And in Isaiah chapter 6 verses 8 through 9, it says this. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. And God said, Go and tell this people. Isaiah became known as one of the greatest writing prophets and spent a large portion of his time ministering under the king Hezekiah and King Uzziah. When God called someone to go, guess what? Isaiah responded. He he heard the Lord and he said, Here am I, send me. Now, wouldn't it be great if God called you and I to do something that we would say, here am I, send me. Notice that out of these four individuals, two went willingly and uh, when asked, and two did everything they could to get out of the call of God. However, all went and did the Lord's calling, and God used them greatly whether they went willing or they were were reluctant. As you may know, because of the limited number of people that we can have in our gatherings in our building, our church has been unable to hold congregational election, and people have been been nominated uh, to hold different positions this past fall, and we are waiting for election. Thus, the members of the council and deacons and the committees have been asked to continue Um, holding their offices until the time that they can vote. However, in the fall, there were many deacons who were nominated, but only one allowed his name to stand for election, and therefore our church is in need of five to seven more deacons. And of course, that's what I want to bring the message on to uh, this morning in regards to deacons, that we need more deacons. And last summer, last September, I brought a message similar of hearing God's voice in choosing deacons. The ministerial has asked me once again if I could bring a message in regards to the Lord's gifting and equipping people to serve as deacons. So we want to do this in the near future, nominate some new deacons, and then be praying for them that we will have individuals who will come and serve as deacons. And before we go any farther, 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we were looking at the call of God, that you have called many individuals. Sometimes they have gone and they were reluctant. Sometimes they went willingly. But in each case, Lord, we realize that you were there and that you supported them, you encouraged them, and you went with each of the one people that you called. I pray, Father, now that if there are those that are listening, they realize that they have giftedness in this area, that they would consider the call that you have given them and that they would listen intently. And perhaps, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts and they would turn them around and then they would come and serve. So I pray, Lord, that you would encourage us whether we serve as deacons, whether we serve as other leaders, or we serve as teachers, or whatever place you have called us to serve, open our hearts so that we can use our talents and our giftings for you. For this we pray. Amen. I've entitled this message, Using Our Gifts and Our Talents for the Kingdom of God, found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3-13. Every Deacon who has been called uses their time, uses their gifts, uses their talents to serve the Lord. Verse 8 states, Deacon likewise are to be men of worthy respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. You see, the word deacon literally means a humble servant. What does it mean to be a humble servant? Well, being a humble servant does not mean thinking less of yourself. It just means not thinking of yourself at all. It means thinking of others and serving and especially thinking about what God has called you to do. The word deacon is only mentioned in two passages of scriptures, which is found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, and Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. And it's not mentioned in any of the pastoral letters, which include 2 Timothy and Titus also. Acts chapter 6. Verses 1 through 4. Um, the word deacon is not used to describe the seven godly men who were chosen to serve tables, for the office had not yet been established. This was a prototype which was still to come. Rather, the seven men were called to serve tables. In other words, to do tasks or responsibilities that were important, but the word, but, but would hinder the elders if they did them because they were called to do the preaching and the teaching of the word and also to prayer. You see, I love to listen to Chuck Swindoll, and I'm sure many of you have also listened to him. He's, I love to hear his messages of encouragement. And he tells a story early in his ministry that he was called to visit a lady who had just lost her husband to cancer. He knew another lady previously who also had lost her husband to cancer. And he called her to go and visit this lady who had just lost her husband. So she did. And she did an incredible job of ministering to this newly widowed lady. Chuck said this, I could have never have done this lady's ministry because of what she had personally experienced. And the Lord had equipped her to do this, to minister. You see, no matter how many 
or how much time a pastor may have or other individuals may have, they could never minister to everyone. And that's the place where deacons will come in. They will come to do the task of others. Every task and responsibility in the church is important and noble, no matter how small or how large it may be. And without faithful people such as deacons, which include um, them filling their roles, it would be impossible for the church to function. Notice in verse 8, Deacons, likewise, are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. In this very ver- in this verse, there are four, four, four qualifications for deacons. The first one is that they are to be men worthy of respect. Respect, of course, hinges on how he lives his life according to the next three qualifications. The deacons must be sincere. Sincere is a poor translation of the Greek word diakonos, which means double tongue. A deacon is not to be double tongue, which means two-faced or to be hypocritical. He tells one thing, one person, or pardon me, he tells one thing to one person and then another thing to another person. Also, he should not be indulging in much wine. Alcohol can be a problem, and if used unwisely, it can affect deacon's actions, thought of speech, then his respect will vanish. If possible, total abstinence would be the best measure. Similarly, a deacon should not be pursuing honest, dishonest gain. Using a trusted church office role or to gain favor for oneself to make money is dishonest. Then we come to verse 9. They must hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. A deacon must know the essentials of the gospel so that they may be able to profess it and communicate it and be able to live the gospel out as an example. A clear conscience comes only as a person lives in obedience to the Lord. In verse 10, we find this. They must first be tested, and then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. It is very interesting that Paul states that a deacon must be tested and yet not say what the test is. Obviously, the goal is to put the person uh, put in the right person to fulfill the role that they are called to as deacons. There would be five areas where the deacon would need to be tested, which include examination of character, according to these verses, doctrinal belief, moral practices, giftings of being able to work on a team with other deacons. The, there are These are all legitimate areas where questions need to be asked. This would fall, pardon me, this would fall in line with searching the scriptures, praying and using wisdom to ask the right questions. Often we think that if a person is godly, that they can fulfill the role. It is true that godliness must be part of every person's of every person who has a position in the church. But there is more to it than that. An example would be if a singing group were looking for another vocal singer. 
The person would have to be godly. But if they could not sing and possess the gift, they could not fill that position. The question, the question um, is, if you are looking for a suitable mate to get married, how would you know if that individual is the right person for you? Well, certainly, you would search the scriptures to do a lot of praying and then learn as much as possible about the person by asking them questions to see if they are compatible to you. My brother-in-law told me this story many years ago. He said he had a friend who was very handsome, and and she married a girl who was not very attractive. Many of the friends wondered why he married this girl. But after my sister and brother-in-law had met her and spent time with both of them, they began to realize that she was one of the most beautiful persons around when they looked at her inner beauty. They both fully understood why, and then they said, we know why he married her. How did he um, decide that this was the right person? Well, he spent a lot of time with her. He asked the right questions, and he began to see the most important thing in a person is the inside and not the outside. It is the same way for deacons. They must be tested so that the right person who the Lord calls will be selected. In verse 11, It says this, In the same way their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but tempered and trustworthy in everything. In the Greek, this is not completely clear because the same word, um, which is genenaskas, is used to translate women and wives. So, Is Paul saying that women cannot be helpers or servants in this role? Or is he specifically um, talking about wives? As I understand, the translators tried to use the context of verse 8, which indicates that deacons are men. Nonetheless, nonetheless, Women play a pivotal role in playing their, their playing their pardon me. Women play a pr- pivotal role with their husbands as they work alongside their husbands fulfilling the role. Men cannot minister to women alone. They need their wives to be with them, and many times it is best for women to minister to women alone. But husbands and wives need to work together as a team whenever it is possible. And once again, the overall umbrella of a woman who serves with their husband needs to be worthy of respect, which is to the same word used of the deacons in verse 8. However, this all hinges on pivots on the next two criteria. The women are not to be malicious talkers, the same way that men are, are not to do this. The words they say and do, and if they slander people, can be horrible. To slander means to tell hurtful lies or rumors about another person, and that is found in John chapter 4, verses, verse 11. It says this, 
Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment also on it. On it. And then secondly, to falsely accuse a person of wrongdoing as found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. Instead, they are to be tempered, which means being sober, being restrained. They are also to be trustworthy. And the Greek word is to trust. It means to pertaining, to be trusted, faithful, trustworthy, dependable, and reliable. If a deacon gossips or slanders about others, they become unreliable, and therefore the deacon must make it their goal and every effort not to gossip or malign anyone. Finally, verse 12 tells us this, a deacon must be the husband of but one wife and manage his children and his household well. Now the phrase deacon must be the husband of one wife is the same qualifications that is given for elders. Many who read or hear some qualification that this is for elders, many stop right there. Many who read this immediately think of polygamy, and that is where, as I said, they stop. The meaning is being a one-woman man, which includes um, purity, physical, mental, and in your heart. It means you are totally loyal to one woman in all parts of your being. One must be pure of thought, life, and any sexual fulfillment is focused on your wife and no one else. This does not mean you will not be tempted, but it does mean that you will be continually setting aside all temptation with God's help. Verse 12 simply states this about being a one-woman man, and and it includes must manage his children, and his household well. Paul's specific focus was on the children. The most reliable thought, uh, the most reliable, though not infallible, means of determining the quality of one's potential leadership is to examine the behavior of the children. Do they respect their father enough to submit to his leadership? And 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8 through 12, lays out some of the standards, lays out some of the standards and character requirements that the deacon needs but not necessarily all requirements, which is also found in other parts of Scripture. H. W. Webb says it well when he says this, Potential deacons must be found blameless, not only in the church participation, sound doctrine, and ministry to persons, but also in Christian character. Their lives should be exemplary so that no charge of uh, such as immorality or dishonesty can be brought against them. Deacons should be involved in activities that uh, deacons should not be involved in activities that would weaken their witness or embarrass the church. In his list of works of the flesh, Paul included hatred, quarreling, jealousy, bad temper, 
selfishness, dissension, factions, and envy, as well as sexual immorality, idolatry, and drunkenness, according to Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. And those who are blameless will demonstrate the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Found in Galatians chapter 2, verse 22. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. So after all that has been lifted, uh, listed here, I'm sure everyone must be asking the question, or terrified, should I enlist to be a deacon? Should I let my name stand? Well, that's why we need to examine ourselves first by looking at our, our, to see if we have the qualifications. And second, to see if God is calling us. As God calls, he calls as he calls Samuel. He calls as he calls Moses. He calls as he called Isaiah. And he calls as he calls Jonah. Two of the prophets went reluctantly. Two of the prophets went with boldness. And yet God used all four of them to do what he wanted them them to do. Today I ask you the question, are you ready to give of yourself? And if God is calling you to be a deacon, let your name stand. And as we pray and as we ask God and seek him together, we know that God will place the right people in the role to serve as deacon here at the Winkler Burktaller Mennonite Church. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all
No matter who we are, God can use us, and he can use us greatly. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. But for this very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king eternal, the king immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time that we had together. We thank you that as you call us, you equip us and you will go with us every step of the way. The same way that you promised that you would be with Moses, you you go with every believer who goes into service to serve you. So I pray, Father, that you would speak to our hearts again once more, and that as we consider different roles within the church, and especially deacons, that you would be present with us, and that you would go before us, that you would lead and guide. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.